Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Well, tonight, y'all ready for the word? Praise the Lord. I'm so glad you guys are here. I, I just, I thank you. There's a million places you could have been, but you're here tonight, and I believe you're going to be blessed. Amen. Because the word of God's worth it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll get to this quote, but I kind of feel led to go ahead and give it now. I read this quote by one of the great church planners on planet Earth today. His name is Dag Haywood Mills. And he made this quote, go ahead and put it up. And he said this, and I read this a few weeks ago, and I'm telling you, I've been sending it to people, and it seems simple. If you would put that quote up, and it's this. Technical difficulties. Well, I'll read it to you then. Dag Haywood Mills, the quote says this. Believe that seeking the kingdom of God is the greatest thing that you can do. Believe that seeking the kingdom of God is the absolute greatest thing that you can do. As soon as you get that, put it up on the board. I want them to see that. Uh, you know, and I, I know it seems really simple, but it's true. I'll, I'll get to this, but that's what I, I personally spend my life trying to model and then also trying to convince people. You know, they think that when you get saved, life, a lot of like people, they think, well, my life's going to get boring now that I got saved, Right? My life's going to go down now that I got I got to give up all this stuff. And, and they don't understand. No, seeking the kingdom of heaven is the greatest thing that you could do on planet earth. Not only because it'll restore, you know, your relationship with God, you get to go to heaven. That's, that's a big one, right? I would, see, I would serve God if I got no benefit of it whatsoever, but I didn't have to go to hell. That would be worth serving God for me. Uh, but on top of that, you know, the Bible says there's a reward for godliness, Say a reward. There's actually a reward. How many people have heard me say in this church? How many people have been blessed through this church? I'm talking like materially blessed, and I tell you the same thing every time. What? It pays to serve God. Hallelujah. And I just hope that I can convince you of that as you're a part of this ministry. The greatest thing you could ever do is seek God. It's never a waste of time. I want you to say it's never. So coming into the house of God is never a waste of your time. And I, and I promise you, I always ask the Lord, I say, Lord, give me something to preach to them because how dare me stand up there and waste people's time just not being prepared and not taking this seriously. And so I'm, I'm telling you, the Lord's going to bless you tonight. Tonight we're continuing Pillars of Pentecost, the Pillars of Pentecost. Um, I've been going through the different theological pillars. I told you, I think this is so instrumental in this time because we live in the age of Facebook prophets. You guys know what I'm talking about. We live in the age of live in your mom's garage apostles. One laugh, praise God. Everyone's an apostle. Everyone's a prophet. Everyone's, you know, I believe in all of those things, but... uh, Anyways, I told you that I just really see this thing where Christians are seemingly chasing the latest, greatest thing, like chasing the the newest prophetic word, and there's always got to be something new, and you actually kind of see this whole thing where it's like people are, I I mean, they're just trying to put out something, the the bait that the people will buy it, it seems, at, at times, and there is legitimate things. There's no doubt about it. We've had legitimate prophets come through this church. Uh, it's definitely a gift, absolutely an office of the Lord. But my whole point in teaching you these pillars of Pentecost is these are things that you really need to buckle down and build your life on these things. Amen. Some of the stuff, you know, the new stuff, it just comes and goes and it's like the uh, crazy uber spiritual, like, uh, you know, some of it's good, but you know what I'm talking about, right? These are, these are pillars you need to build your life on. We've been talking about things like being baptized in the Holy Ghost. The being sanctified, what is that? Being made holy, being made like Jesus, not just saved and left in the mud to roll around like a pig until one day we go to heaven. No, he actually sanctifies us, makes us holy where we don't have to live in a perpetual pattern of sin. 
in our lives. It's divine healing. That's something that we're going to get to soon. Prosperity, that's something we're going to get to soon. These are actual pillars of Pentecostalism. And so today, I'm going to share with you a significant pillar of Pentecost, and I hope that this gets in you because this is something that's really missing in a lot of Christians. So today, the pillar is this, outreach, outreach. Hallelujah. Guys, is our media, is our computers completely froze back there? Yay, nay, no? Okay, outreach. Can you say outreach? Another way you could say this is evangelism. Okay, so basically when when studying this, I'll give you a quote from the Gospel Coalition. This is a website. This is basically just doing some, just research. This is what secular people have to say about Pentecostal believers. They say, again, while it is difficult to generalize about the missional distinctives of Pentecostal adherence in churches, in churches basically, it's, it's hard to make a general statement that all of them do the same thing. It says, many people recognize the following emphasis. The first distinctive is an urgent missionality. Say missionality. That's a fancy word. What is missionality, right? Basically, it means a mission mentality, right? Mission mentality. Put it together. What do you got? Missionality, right? Fancy word. But one of the distinctives is saying is that when the world looks at Pentecostal believers, they see an urgent mission mentality, okay? So having been baptized, this is what Pentecostals believe, right? So say that's me. Having been baptized with the Holy Spirit, Pentecostals in their churches take the Great Commission seriously (laughs) and are propelled and empowered for evangelism. We believe that in this church, right? We believe that's a work of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't just come on you to give you a tickle while you sit in the armchair and watch a really good service on your phone. He empowers you. He empowers you for what? For, to, he propels you and empowers you for evangelism, for outreach, for evangelism, for church planting, and for reaching the unreached. That's powerful right there. Given this distinctive, it is no surprise that where new missional frontiers are found, much of the work and growth is due to Pentecostal efforts. So basically what that means is that when you look at the world and you were to go to Africa, when Africa was uncharted and now the gospel is being taken to Africa, the gospel is being taken to China about 150 years ago, the gospel is going into these uncharted places, like nine out of ten times it was a Pentecostal believer that was there doing the work. You know, why is that? Because we believe the Holy Ghost empowers us, convicts us, and compels us to get out of our house, to get out of ourselves, and to take this message to the ends of the earth. And that's the DNA we have to get in us. Amen. So tonight, let's go through a few points about outreach. Number one, guys, this is going to be a very simple, simple message. Number one, write this down tonight. God's will for every Christian is to win the lost. That's very profound, isn't it? God's will for every Christian is to win the lost. No exceptions. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, no exceptions. Not even you, right? So look now point the finger at me and say, no exceptions, including me. Right, because everybody believes that they're the exception, right? Everybody, I mean, I'm telling you, you meet Christians, they read this Bible, and they're like, I agree with it, I'll preach it, I'll say it, I'll say amen to it. But when it comes to their life, it's like they believe that they're the exception, right? Well, God was talking about everybody else when he said this, not talking about me. No, he's talking about you, and he's talking about me when he said it. Hallelujah. You know, again, despite what you see in American Christianity, God's will is not for just a person to just show up to a church service once a blue moon or, you know, whatever, and then um, just show up and then kind of just live your own individual life. You are to be trained up to shake your region. Come on, somebody. Every single Christian is to be trained up to be a region-shaking believer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray that you get that faith in you. I pray that as you're a part of this ministry, something begins to grow on the inside of you where you get this vision. Hey, God's solution to to Angelina isn't sending somebody else. I am God's solution. Are you with me? 
Something would begin to rise up where we see. You know, some of you see so many problems, right? There's some of you, God's opened your eyes to see things that are wrong. And that's all you got as Christians. And I'm telling you, I've been guilty of it. And, and you just see American Christianity and it drives you nuts. And, and it's like, but all we have is people that want to sit back and tell the world what, what Americans are doing wrong. Well, if you see it, what do you think God's solution is? Somebody else fixing it? No, God's anointed you. Say he's anointed me. Hallelujah. So you may think that. So it's God's will for every single Christian to win the lost. And you may say, if we're just being honest with you, with, with ourselves, you may say, I'm not there yet, right? Let me tell you something as your pastor. That's okay. That's okay. I love you. We're not going to sit here and get someone saved and, you know, you're condemned because you haven't won 10 souls. You say, I'm just not there yet. That's okay. But here's one thing we need to agree on. You may not be there, but you need to go ahead and understand that that is where you're going. So you could say, I may not be there. I'll be okay with that as long as you accept this fact. I may not be there now, but I know that that's where I'm heading. To be a soul-winning Christian. Hallelujah. So say, say, it's God's will for every Christian, including me, turn to your neighbor, including you, to win the lost. Let's look at this in light of the scripture. Let's see how Jesus described the coming believers. When Jesus spoke in the gospels and he talked about Christians, the people that would be getting saved, and he prophesied about the church. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said so many prophetic things. At his time, it was prophetic, right? The church hadn't been birthed yet about the church. And this is what he said about the Christians, about this church age that we were stepping into. And how many of you know the scripture? A lot of you could probably quote this. Told you, even if you know this, it's, it's okay. Just let the Lord refresh you with it. Mark 16, 15 through 18. So he got his disciples together after three years. This is the climax, right? This is the point. This is what he's saying. We've walked together for three years, and it's all led to this moment, this commissioning. And then this is what he tells them. Here's your mission. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Say everyone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Preach the good news to everyone. That means get the message. You know, and I'm going to tell you, this needs to get in our DNA as born again, Holy Ghost filled Pentecostal believers. Say everyone. Well, guys, we're not just, there's something wrong if we become okay with just simply being a church, right? Like a church with the same families and the same people. And it's like we got our own little watering hole and the same five people go to the watering hole and we're just okay with living life like that. You know, there's got to get something inside of us that says, no, it's actually our job to make sure that every single person in Angelina County at least has the opportunity to hear the gospel before Jesus Christ returns again. What does that mean? Our efforts have to be thrown into a place of where we get this vision. Every single door in Jesus' name. Every single street in Jesus' name. Right now, what are we working on as a church? Every single apartment complex in Angelina County is what we're systematically doing. We're getting ready to do number three coming up in a couple of weeks. Praise the Lord. You know, uh, hallelujah. Every house, every apartment complex, every single street, you know, uh, thank God God's opening up the capacity. We're trying to get the gospel on every mobile device in Angelina County. I know that the older generation, and I was the same way, you know, it's, it's crazy. You guys look how young I am, but I'm telling you, technology has changed even since I was a teenager. You see how, like, people are using social media as, like, a business in this, like, market. I had... That was like Facebook. Whenever Facebook came out when I was a teenager, it was Farmville. That's all that we did was played Farmville. There was no multi. Anybody play Farmville in here? Know what I'm talking about? Go visit your friend's farm and got the, you know. But here's the, here's the reality. There's people on that platform. There's a whole generation coming up, and we have to become excellent in those ways to get the gospel in front of them. Hallelujah. To get the gospel to them. 
And so as a Pentecostal believer, that's where our energy, that's where our finances, that's where our prayers, that's where our focus goes. When we get up out of bed and our feet hit the ground, we run and live with the focus in the forefront of our minds of getting the gospel to this community as far and as fast as we can. Hallelujah. So he says, go and preach the good news to everyone. Hallelujah. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. They'll speak in new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety. They drink anything poisonous. It won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick. And they will be healed. Okay, so basically, look at this. Go and preach the gospel. He's telling his 12 this, his core group he spent three years in, uh, three years training up. He's saying, go and take the gospel. He said, Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and your job is to just get it to the people, and then the people have to decide for themselves what they're going to do with it, right? But it's our job to get it to the people. And then he goes on to say, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Say, those who believe. Who's those who believe? The people that are receiving the gospel message. Say, has anybody in here received the gospel message? So that means he's talking about you. He's talking about me. In context here, he wasn't talking about the 12, right? There's so many theologies that are like, well, only the apostles could do signs, wonders, and miracles. The, the gifts died out with the apostles, He's not talking about the apostles. He said, go preach to anyone. If they receive it, these signs will follow after those who are receiving it. They'll cast out devils. Hallelujah. They'll speak in new languages. They'll handle snakes with safety. They drink anything poisonous. It won't hurt them. They'll place their hands on the sick, and they shall be healed. Hallelujah. But basically what Jesus was saying is these new ones who believe will be trained up to walk in the supernatural and to carry on the ministry of Jesus. That's, that's God's will for every believer according to the scripture. Be trained up to walk in the supernatural. Say walk in the supernatural. And did you know this? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that is God's will for every single one of us to carry on the ministry that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hallelujah. So do you see that this is how Jesus described the coming believers, right? Jesus never had it in his mind, a Christian that was disconnected from the kingdom of God. Are y'all with me? Look at John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone, say anyone, who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. And even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. So basically, I'll break it down real simple for you. Ready? Number one, you get saved. Great. Good with that. Number two, you have to be trained. Say trained. What is trained? Discipled. Number three, you're going to continue the work of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That was God's plan for the Christian in a nutshell. Get them saved. Teach these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded of them. And then number three, these signs will follow them. They'll do the same works that I did. Y'all with me? So here's the concluding thought. It was not a thought in Jesus' mind that a person would be a believer and be disconnected from the work of the ministry in the earth. I'll say it again. It was not a thought in Jesus' mind. We, there's people, they may not like to hear that. But guys, how many of you know? How many of you know a Christian? How many of you have been a Christian? That you live a very, you've lived, I've done it, a self-centered life that's totally disconnected from the work of the gospel. Where it's like me and Jesus, we just got our own thing going on. And, and we think that that. Our relationship with God just consists of us going out and having good conversations over a cup of coffee. And as long as we do that and we live our own individual life, just disconnected from the ministry, that we're okay with God. But when you look at the scripture, you can't paint the picture that Jesus ever pictured that when thinking or talking about a future coming believer. Hallelujah. You know, that's the thing. There's so many Christians, they're hell-bent on, well, I don't got to go to church. I don't got to be around people. How can you lay hands on the sick if you're not around sick people? Yeah. 
right? Most Christians are like, man, I'll just go live out on a, on a private island, and me and the Lord will have our own thing going on. I'm telling you, that's actually not New Testament Christianity, because there is no New Testament Christianity where the believer is not carrying on the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, write this down tonight. Let's move on. So number one, it's God's will for every Christian to win the lost. Look at this. Your calling, your calling. Anybody ever wondered what their calling is? Maybe, well, nobody, just one, Tristan in the back, hallelujah. Two, okay, two people have wondered what their calling is. Maybe, maybe you guys that, that you've come up in this, maybe you're secure in that. But I'm telling you, there's a whole generation coming up that is in this turmoil of they don't know who they are. Why do you think we have the transgender thing? Why do you think we have all of this crazy, chaotic stuff that's going on? There's a whole generation coming up. They don't know who they are. They don't know why they're on the earth. I mean, they're, they're just, somebody goes to college, and they spend 10 years in four different majors trying to figure out, right, what their calling is. I'm going to make it very simple. Very simple. Because I'm going to tell you something. This is amazing, and this will help you. Everybody has the exact same calling. Do you know that? Right, you have, I know, it's crazy. We have whole conferences that it's like, you're calling and, you know. Anyways, there's different gifts. Yes, there's different administrations, but everyone has the same calling. Your calling is the work of the ministry. Say this, say, say this tonight. Say, my calling is the work of the ministry. Your occupation is your vehicle to do the work of the ministry. Right? So your occupation isn't your calling. Your calling is the work of the ministry, but your occupation is the vehicle in which you do the work of the ministry. God puts you around specific people. God opens up specific doors. God gives you specific gifts that bring prosperity. And, you know, the Bible says that your gifts will bring you before kings. God gave, gave you certain attributes that allow you to succeed in this life, but that's not your identity. And that's why people struggle so much is they're trying to find their identity and their occupation. That's why, why do you think that people die after they retire? You know, statistically, a, a, a man or a woman dies like seven years after they retire. Why? Because after they retire, they just feel like they have no purpose. They have no reason for living because their whole identity was wrapped up in that occupation. But your occupation is not your calling. The ministry is your calling. The occupation is just the vehicle that God uses, right? It's just the method. It's just the tool. Hallelujah. Understand this. This is kind of revolutionary. I heard Dag Haywood Mills say it, and it's so true. No one was called into an occupation in the Bible. Think about that. No one was called into an occupation in the Bible. Now, if you're asking me, well, John, does the Holy Ghost lead us into occupations? Absolutely. And I'll get to that in a moment. But I'm trying to make a point here. No one was called into an occupation. What do I mean by that? Right? Well, you, you may ask a 19-year-old who's going to SFA, what's your calling? Well, I'm called to be a teacher. And I understand that type of language. I'm not trying to be critical. But guys, can I tell you something? Being a, well, being a school teacher is not a biblical calling. I'm called to be a plumber. Really? Where was the plumber in the Bible? Are you with me? Well, I'm called to be a carpenter. Were there carpenters in the Bible? Yes, but it was not a calling from the Lord. It was an occupation. Are you with me? Okay, so no one was called into an occupation in the Bible. Why? Because God gave us all Every single Christian, in this sense, has the same calling. The reason that no one was called into an occupation in the Bible is because God gave us the blueprint of what a Christian was, right? Being a Christian is your calling. The work of the ministry is your calling. So he gave us the blueprint of what that looked like, and your job is to take that blueprint and apply it to anywhere that you go. Hallelujah. 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 That means if you understand that, I'm called to be a plumber. No, you know, you're called to the work of the ministry. You should carry the work of the ministry into your plumbing company, right? Are anybody called to Cracker Barrel? That's my calling is to work at Cracker Barrel in my life. No, you're not called to Cracker Barrel. 
You can work at Cracker Barrel. Your calling is actually to bring the gospel to Cracker Barrel if you're working at Cracker Barrel. Are y'all with me? You must go into your occupation as a fisher of men. As a fisher of men. Say fisher of men. A fisher of men. You know, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm really explaining it as well, but the whole point is, again, don't get so much stock tied up in, in your occupation. If you understand what I'm saying, it'll set you free. And then you'll begin to understand what the, what the Lord of the Lord says is everywhere you go and everything that you do will be blessed. So many people try to, like, bind themselves and put themselves in a box. Well, I can't invest in real estate because I'm called to be a school teacher. School teachers don't do that. No, that's not your calling. You're called to be a Christian. That's just an occupation that you have. Are you with me? Okay. Anywhere that you go, whatever your occupation is, you must understand that the work of that occupation is not your calling. You are to enter into that occupation with the mindset of being a fisher of men. Look at Matthew 4, 19. Jesus called out to them, the disciples, and said, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. What's the job of a Christian? Real simple here, guys. Fishing for people. Say fishing for people. Fishing of people. Basically, what is your job as a Christian? You become a person who endeavors to catch people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You become a person who endeavors to catch people. So what do I mean by that? You know, are you entering into your occupation? Say you work for a company. Ask yourself this genuine question. When you go to work, are you thinking thoughts like this? How can I get the gospel to these people? How can I, how can I catch these people? How can I get this person saved? How can I get them saved? How can I get, how can I get my office literally saved? How can I get them plugged into the local church? How can I get them coming with me on Sunday? How can I catch people? I'm a fisher of men. I'm not a banker. I'm a fisher of men. I'm not a school teacher. I'm a fisher of men. Hallelujah. But you don't really have Christians doing that. You have Christians, they'll just show up, they'll clock in nine to five, they don't talk to anybody. And oh, what a fish, you know what a fisher of men does? He goes after the people. What does that mean? You start going out of your way to somebody. Let me take you out to lunch and let me bless you. I'll buy your lunch. It's like, well, isn't that inconvenient for you? Haven't you been working? Aren't you tired? Wouldn't you like just a moment to yourself? Yes, it may be inconvenient to your flesh, but this is part of the sacrifice of the gospel. There is no gospel without sacrifice. You must deny yourself. That's part of the, the, the sacrifice of, of giving your all to follow Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if you started doing things like that? You know, uh, people that work on oil rigs. I've told many people, I actually knew a guy that he would go out into the man camps and during the evenings, he was a Christian. He understood that he may have worked in the oil field, but he was a Christian first before he was an oil field worker. What did that mean? He would be putting on Bible studies. He was making disciples. This man of God passed away, went home to be with the Lord. But he would get people out of prison. Man, they'd be hardcore, gang-banging, drug, you know, people like that. And he would get them jobs where now they're making five, ten grand a month. The next thing you know, those men are in church and they're covered in tattoos and they're crying at the altar. And, and then they're leading recovery ministries and then their families are coming to church. And what does that look like? That looks like a person that went to work as a fisher of men. Hallelujah. Praise God. How are you thinking thoughts like this? You know, you got to understand too. It's not a coincidence that you're living in your neighborhood. Have, have you ever even had the thought, how can I get my neighbor saved? You know, again, the Christian mindset is just go to church and that's great. You should, we have, we're, we're commanded to come to church corporately. And I'm, I'm telling you, I love every one of you. It's a pleasure seeing you guys. I look forward to seeing you at church every single time. But you know, a true fisher of men 
begins to have the mindset and say, what if I started my own Bible study in my house for the purpose of literally just winning my neighbors to the Lord? Right? My neighbors may not know Pastor John, and they may, not, they may think that, oh, that's just some skinny, young, white kid. I'm not doing nothing. But they know you, right? What would you, do you have anybody that lives in your neighborhood that you're friends with that, that would be willing to come over to your house for a cup of coffee once a week? Do you understand the mindset shift of being a fisher of men, a fisher of people? And you begin, to, you begin to engage in the sacrifice of inconvenience to go after people's souls. How can I get them saved? How can I, man, I'm telling you, invite somebody over to coffee, do it once or twice or three times, and then have the conversation. Can I pick you up and take you to church with me? I promise you, like 50% of the people, if you begin to frequently do that, would come with you. But I'm telling you guys, me included, we've all been guilty. Am I, are we, am I telling the truth? We've all been guilty of we just get in the hustle and bustle and we don't even think about these things. And when we get in the hustle and bustle, we're actually neglecting our high calling. Hallelujah. So most people, again, this is underneath the point. Your calling is the work of the ministry. Your occupation is just your vehicle to do the work of the ministry. Most people, uh, the way this is modeled in Scripture is most people actually left their occupation to follow Jesus and to do the work of the ministry. Examples, Andrew, Peter, James, John, and Thomas, Nathaniel, and Philip, they were all fishermen. They all left being fishermen to follow after Jesus. Matthew, he was a tax collector. Simon, he was a zealot. He, that means he was in politics. He was a politician. Paul, he was kind of a, a politician as well. He, he did tent making. Luke, he was a doctor. And yet they abandoned their occupation to follow Jesus. So what am I trying to say tonight? Let's all quit our jobs and be a bunch of hippies and follow Jesus? Absolutely not. No. No. No, we got to fund this thing, right? We got to go to work. Uh, but here's the point. The Bible instructs us to work, but... Why, why, why did God have these people step away from their occupations? Because he wanted to show us that God sees you as an ambassador of heaven above being a plumber, above being an electrician, above being a school teacher. Hallelujah. Your kingdom assignment is actually first over your occupation. That's why the Lord actually had to call them to show them that the kingdom assignment was first over their occupation. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Here's kind of my point with this. God did not train up fishermen and tent makers. Do you ever see that in the scripture? Did Jesus ever have a fishing seminar? All right, guys, I'm going to put on a fishing seminar because I'm going to train up the next generation of fishermen. Paul, did he ever, do we have any record of Paul putting on any tent making seminars? No. God did not train up fishermen and tent makers. Why? Because that wasn't the call. We all have the same call. It's the work of the ministry. God trained up people to do the work of the ministry. See, he did not train up fishermen and tent makers, but yet he used fishermen and tent makers to preach the gospel and win souls. Hallelujah. So God's not calling you out of it. He wants to use you in it. Come on, somebody. God will use your occupation as a tool. Say it's a tool. But I'm telling you as a Christian, don't get your calling backwards. God brought you there to bring the kingdom. Hallelujah. God brought you there to bring the gospel. You are an ambassador of heaven first. So again, am I telling you, well, you shouldn't work and we all just come up and we'll all just sit around and pray and go out and soul it? No, no, I'm telling you, go to work, thrive, do well, get promoted, prosper, hallelujah, but understand what your high calling is. Amen. So this is kind of helping prove the point to you that God's will for every Christian is to win the lost. Another example of this in scripture is According to the Bible, the five-fold ministry, sometimes I got to think, right? I'm like, John, don't write this for you. Write this for people that may not know what that means. Because I wrote the purpose of the five-fold is to equip every saint for the work of the ministry. Some people may come in and be like, what the heck's the five-fold? What does that mean? 
The purpose of the fivefold ministry, I'll give you what that is in just a moment, is to equip every saint for the work of the ministry. Okay, what is the fivefold ministry? Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Right? So God, Jesus appoints those people. Jesus appoints pastors to the church. Guys, and I'm going to tell you something. The God honest truth is, is Jesus, you can't just choose to be in the fivefold ministry. You know, and anybody that is in the fivefold ministry, it's not because they're special. It's not because God just likes them more. It's not because they earned it with more righteousness than you. It's a grace. It's a divine appointment and calling that Jesus has to sovereignly do. So, you know, and I'm just telling you that because I see so many people that they're chasing this idea of being like a fivefold minister, and, and they're actually, they would be more blessed if they weren't because the Lord never called them to do that. The Lord just, they're like, but I just have a heart for souls. I just have a heart for people. I just have a heart to preach the gospel. That's great. You're a good Christian. We should all as Christians have that heart. Hallelujah. Okay. So the, the, say the pastor, for example, I'm a pastor, okay, right? I'm a pastor. The Lord has opened the doors for me to do this. I'm appointed by Christ to do what I'm doing. Uh, this actually tells me my responsibility. I know we can make clever little mission statements and we're, well, we endeavor to do this. Purpose, plan, pursuit, perfection, and, you know, we get the awesome mission statement going out. That's great. Nothing wrong with it. But it tells me my responsibility as a pastor, their responsibility of the fivefold is to equip God's people. Who's God's people? The people that aren't the fivefold, right? The people that God sends to sit underneath the ministry gift that Christ gave to the church. My job essentially is this. Are you guys listening? My job, according to the Bible, is to equip you to do his work, to do the work of the ministry, to build up the church, the body of Christ. I'll read it to you in the New King James. For the equipping of the saints. My job is to equip you what? For the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. My job as a pastor is to raise up people, to equip people for the work of the ministry. And build up the church, the body of Christ. So again, let me ask this question. Who's God's people? Say me. Turn to your neighbor, say you. Look behind you, say you. You're God's people, right? So if we put this in context, what does that mean? It's God's will that his people who are not the fivefold ministry do the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. So what's God's calling for my life to do the work of the ministry? Say amen to that. God's calling for my life is to do the work of the ministry. I just think that it's interesting. He didn't say, here's the fivefold, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the pastor. Their job is to do the work of the ministry. No, he said their job is to equip God's people to do his work, to equip God's people, the saints, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, so say the ministry. Now here's the question then. If our job as a Christian is to do the work of the ministry, then what is the ministry? And you guys, I'm telling you, it's like you hear people, they give the weirdest responses. Well, my ministry's this. And, and again, I understand there's different gifts, there's different administrations, but the Bible's actually very clear of what the ministry is. Okay? What is the ministry? It's talking about the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus, he spent three years patterning his life. He taught them what to do. He taught them how to do it. He taught them how to live, how to think, how to pray, how to use their faith, how to be fishers of men. And then after three years, he went to heaven, he sent the Holy Ghost, and he commissioned them and said, now you go do what I did, and now you go train up other people and teach them to do what I taught you to do. Hallelujah. Okay, what is the ministry? Matthew 4, 23. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching. Say teaching. If you're a Christian, teaching is a part of your calling. 
Well, I'm just an introvert, Brother John. I just don't like that. No, you got a dang spirit of fear that you've got to get victory over because you're a Christian. Well, that's not part of God's. I don't have any interest in doing that because that's just not God's plan for my life. I'm telling you, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's a part of it. Amen. And I don't mean that everybody's going to be behind a, a platform and a microphone teaching, but your life will consist of teaching. I'll give you some examples. Teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. So announcing, another translation says preaching. So there you have teaching, say teaching. Say preaching. And then healing every kind of disease and illness. So there's the work of the ministry in a nutshell. Preaching, teaching, healing the sick. Hallelujah. Doesn't that line up with what he said? These signs will follow those who believe. They'll cast out devils. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. Hallelujah. So did you know you were called to be a preacher? Who would have thought, right? You know you're called to be a teacher? You know you're called to be a, uh, lay your hands on a type of person that prays for the sick and believes God for miracles? And you may be looking at yourself saying, I just can't see myself doing that. That's okay. That's what the process of sanctification is for. It's Christ getting us out and getting him in. Well, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me, through me. Look at Matthew 9, 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns. Again, it's very clear. He did the same thing everywhere that he went, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. What if as a Christian you went to work and you begin to look for people right around this time of year. You know how many people living with a bottle of ibuprofen on their desk? You know what I'm talking about? Probably not now because it's like 100 degrees outside. But when it starts getting cold, you'll always have the people that, oh, you know, everywhere. Instead of eating a bowl of oatmeal, they just got a bowl of ibuprofen with some milk poured in it. And Look for people like that. And then just tell them the good news. Man, let me tell you about my God who's a healer. Hallelujah. Can I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you? Can I tell you what the Bible says? That, that Jesus healed the sick. And it says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe he's resurrected and he's alive. Can I pray for you? Guys, I'm telling you. If you begin to look. And I'm going to challenge you a little bit. But if you begin to think about thoughts like that. And say, I could never do that at work because I would be so embarrassed of what people would think about me. I want to tell you right now, you have not been, you have not been showing them Christ then at work. You've been living double. You've been living in a way that's of the world. You've been living in a, a, a total lukewarm kind of double life. You're on the fence because if you were to go to work and say, I couldn't do that because they don't know that me. They know the foul mouth me. They know the, the one that's just, that just doesn't care. The one that just goes with the flow. I'm telling you right now, you've got to break that off. Hallelujah. We've got to become Christians that live for Jesus every day, all day, everywhere that we go unashamed. Anybody else want that in the room? Okay. Look at Luke chapter four. Again, we're asking the question, what is the ministry? Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Listen, again, the Holy Ghost, these are the things that he anoints you for. I'm anointed to be a flag waver. <laughs> That's not in Luke chapter 4, though. You know what I mean? Are, are y'all following me? I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just, I'm being honest. Like, we have to start just thinking Bible, right? If it's, you know, and I'll tell you, because guys, there's entire flag waving conferences. Do you know that? There's entire conferences that's like, it's called the prophetic flag conferences. And, and it's like, that's nowhere in the Bible. What is there one scripture that says that we wave our banner? Like, and that, that's it? Like, where did you ever see them doing that in the New Testament? Are you guys with me? And again, it's fine. If you want to worship the Lord, and that's great, but, but my whole point is a lot of people will actually neglect the Bible ministry, the ministry of Jesus, and they'll say, well, I don't do all that praying and talking to people and witnessing because I'm a flag minister. 
I've heard it said, if your ministry is not in the Bible, it's not a real ministry, right? Why don't you just say, I like to worship God with flags, but my ministry is the ministry of Jesus. Are y'all with me? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. What does he anoint you to do? Bring good news to the poor. Hallelujah. You may say, well, I don't feel like I can preach. That's where the anointing comes in. There's a grace of God. I don't know if I could go to my coworkers and actually tell them the good news of the gospel. He'll anoint you to do it. He'll put a grace on your lips to do it. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released. Y'all, I'm telling you, everything will change if you'll understand. I'm not here working a job. I've been sent here by the Lord. I've been sent into my occupation by the Lord. To what? Proclaim the captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. So what is the ministry? Say teaching, say preaching, say healing the sick. I'm going to challenge you a little bit more, and I'm about to be done. I'll be done in the next nine minutes. God's will for every believer, God's will is for every believer to become a shepherd of his people. Exodus 19.6, God said this over Israel. He said, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a, of a holy nation. So God didn't only say I'm raising up priests in Israel. He said, I'm actually going to make you a kingdom of priests, an entire nation of priests. These words which you speak shall I speak to the children of Israel. That word priest, it's like, well, what did he mean by priest? It's, it's the same word. If you look at the Hebrew word, look at a, a lexicon and, and find the Hebrew word that was used there. It's the same word that's used for the priests that minister in the temple. You know that back in the, in the old covenant, they didn't have shepherds, right? They didn't have pastors. They didn't have evangelists. They had prophets. But the prophets and the priests, they were the shepherd of God's people. So basically what essentially is God saying here, I'm going to make a kingdom of pastors, of shepherds out of you. It's God's will for every believer to become a shepherd of people. And I'm going to give you this point tonight. I'm going to challenge you. There should come a point in your walk with God where you are pastoring other people. I don't mean from a platform with a microphone and you have to start a church. That's not what I'm saying, right? That's the fivefold. I'm talking as a Christian, there should come a point where you are actually pastoring. What does it mean to pastor? You become a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? The shepherd leads. You're leading other people. You're coming into their life. You're caring for them. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There should come a point where you're coming over people and becoming their shepherd where they could say, man, Miss Debbie is my shepherd, right? The Lord's my shepherd, but man, Miss Debbie is a shepherd. And underneath Miss Debbie, I don't want anything. She takes care of me. She blesses me. She helps me like a mother would her children. Rebecca, like a mother would her children. Miss Kim, like a mother would her children. I'll give you examples of this. Titus 2, 4 through 5. There should come a point where every Christian, not just special ones, become pastors. God's high calling is for every single Christian to be discipled up to the point where you're shepherding people. An example of this is in Titus 2, 4 through 5. The older women must train the younger women. Look at that. Is that talking about just the few? Is that talking about the ones that are called to the fivefold? No, no, the older women. He's saying in general, in your, in your walk with Christ, right? At this point, he said in the book of Hebrews, you should be teaching others by now, but yet I'm still having to teach you these basic things is what Paul was telling to the church in Hebrews. At some point in your walk, he said, you should be discipled and you should become a shepherd where the older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. They will not bring shame on the word of God. God, I got a question to ask everybody in this room. For the men, I have a question. Number one, whose father are you? I'm not talking about 
natural. I'm not talking about a baby. I'm not talking about somebody that your wife birthed. I'm asking spiritually, whose father are you? Women, whose mother are you? I'm not talking about children that you birthed. I'm talking about people that you've come under. Who would call you mother in the spirit? And again, I'm not talking about this weird thing where you go around and you claim everyone as, oh, that's my spiritual son. And, but you know what? I'm talking about becoming a shepherd. Whose father are you? Whose mother are you? If you've been in the faith for a long time and you say, well, no one. Guys, I'm telling you, we're missing something there. Are you with me? Whose mother are you? Whose father are you? You get saved, you be discipled, and then what? You make disciples. Get saved, be discipled, make disciples. Not everyone will be appointed by Christ into the fivefold, but you are to become a lay pastor. What does a lay pastor mean? It, a layman basically just means normal. Right? That means not, you're not a five-fold minister, but you're a normal Christian that works a job, but yet you're shepherding other people. Hallelujah. And, I, you know, I do see a major problem with this, that the church has gotten great and as a whole of learning how to get people in, but, excuse me, where are the fathers where are the fathers in the faith? Where are the fathers to this generation? Where are the mothers? And so, a person that has a secular occupation but shepherds people. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you these three points and I'm going to leave you with this tonight. So again, this is all underneath the point that it's God's will for every single Christian to win the lost. Have you received anything from this tonight? Good, so I'm going to answer this question. You may say, well, then what do I preach, Pastor John? What am I supposed to preach? Very simply. Number one, just preach. Go to work and preach about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 4. Paul said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sin. Just as the scripture said, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and on the third day, just as the scriptures said. So to simplify that, what do you need to preach? You need to tell people what Jesus did for them. Hallelujah. It's really not that hard. Guys, I'm telling you, we have tonight, I know everybody's got one, but can I have my usher go ahead and pass out a soul winning script to every person? Just in the last week, I've led a person to, I was in Walmart. And the lady checks out, you know, in the back part of Walmart. And, and before I walk away, I use this prompt right here. This is so revolutionary. It's the gospel simplified. And you just ask the question to somebody, has anyone told you that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? You know how many people will melt when you say that to them? You know how many waitresses that we've told that and that literally went from like running around and I got to work to literally you can watch their face just like, Wow, no, man, I needed that today. They'll start tearing up. I needed that today. And you just tell God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, and then you go on to say, I, can I ask you a simple question? It's this, that if you were to die today and breathe your last breath, are you 100% certain that you would stand before the Lord and enter into heaven? Some people will tell you, religious, yes, absolutely, no doubt, 100%. But then other people will tell you, they'll be honest. If you're genuine, they'll be honest and say, no, I'm not sure. And say, well, let me just share something with you. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All, say all. That means I've fallen short, you've fallen short, Miss Karen's fallen short, Rebecca's fallen short. Come on. Shavonica's fallen short, Hannah's fallen short. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, Right? And when it means death, it doesn't just mean we die. It actually means hell. That's what that word death means. So it's like very simple. I'm not here to judge you. I'm telling you that we're, we all are going straight to hell, right? Because that's the wage of sin is it, there has to be judgment. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I pray with you right now to receive the Lord? Very simple. A lot of people will say, some will say no, some will say yes and say, great, let's just pray. And you leave this simple prayer. Just say, Father, I believe in my heart 
I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. And right now, I receive the free gift of righteousness. Write my name in the, the, the book of life. I receive it and, and thank the Lord for it. It's simple as that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you need to preach what Jesus did for people. Number two, your testimony. Say your testimony. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. What does that mean? Tell people what Jesus did for them and then tell people what Jesus did for you. Were you in addiction? Were you depressed? Were you broken? Did you come out of a broken marriage? Did you, were you sick and he healed you? What did Jesus do for you? Tell people. And then number three, always understand this. The gospel is the power of God. Romans 1.16. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is, say it is, the power of God to salvation. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I like the NLT, how it says, it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. So what do I mean by that? You may, again, you think that you have to do all this fancy pantsy stuff to win somebody, but that message that I just went over with you, it doesn't say that it produces the power of God. It says the gospel is the power of God at work. You know what that means? That when those words, that sentence, that phrase comes out of your mouth, the power of God begins to go to work in the life of that person. That's like, well, this person looks mean and scary, and they look like, you know, they don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah, but get, share the gospel and watch the anointing break the yoke of bondage. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then lastly, do we have the quote? Can we put it up? Is it possible? The Dag Haywood Mills. Dag Haywood Mills is this. Believe that seeking the kingdom of of God is the greatest thing that you can do. This is what you need to convince people. Let me tell you, man, that serving Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to you on planet Earth. It'll be the best thing for your marriage. It'll tell people how to help their marriage, how to help their finances, how they can be healed, how they can be blessed, how they can have the fullness of joy, how it's not a waste of time and it's not just a bunch of rules and you're just going to sacrifice and be a monk that lives in the woods. And No, it's the greatest thing that you could ever do is to seek the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let me pray over you guys tonight. Also, I'll quickly tell you this. Uh, put the soul goal up, the, the, the phone number here. So we actually have a monthly soul goal. How many did we get last month? 62. We got 62 out of 100 last month, right? So let's praise God. We got 62 souls saved last month. We were believing for 100, pushing for it. We didn't get there, but we're going to get there soon in Jesus' name. We already got some. That number is not accurate, I'm telling you. I've won two to the Lord, and I, I know Bryson has, Reagan has, so we'll get that updated. But we need your help. So that number, put the text number up. I'm asking all of you, as you go to restaurants, you go to the gas station, you go to the store, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to partner with us in preaching the gospel and as you begin to take the gospel and you're winning people to the Lord, you need to sign up for that text uh, update because I want you to text the, the, just text that number. Just send the number. Send one, send two, send three. We'll know exactly what that means. And that's the number of people that you're leading to the Lord. And I believe if we come together as a church, we can win 100 souls this month in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these people. I thank you, Lord. I don't take it for granted. It's an honor to stand before them. Uh, and, Lord, your word is so good that you're not condemning any of us because we've all missed this. Every day we've missed this in some way. We've all went somewhere and didn't witness and didn't do what we were supposed to do. So there's no condemnation over anybody in this room over anything that I've said. But I pray that your word would bring sweet conviction and that it would prompt us to step into our high calling in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. Holy Ghost, prune us, sanctify us, grow us, and mature us in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And I declare every person that came tonight and is watching online is blessed in the name of the Lord. You're blessed 
in Jesus' name. And that as they go out of this church tonight, that favor follows them. Praise God. I'm telling you, promotion, bonuses, hallelujah, things are opening up. The favor of God goes with you when you leave. Hallelujah, because you're a child of God. You're a child of God. It didn't come just because you came to the service. It came because you came in through the blood of Jesus Christ, and now you carry the favor of God. Amen. In Jesus' name, if you will, just give the Lord a shout of praise if you believe it and receive it tonight. Hallelujah. I love you all so much. Thanks for coming tonight. God bless you. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.